Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, well, uh, here we are. It is Palm Sunday, um, the day that we remember Jesus coming as King. And I don't know about you, but more and more every day I need Jesus to be my King, to be my, my guiding light, to be my uh, unchanging truth in a world that is constantly changing, particularly at the moment. And when I felt flat this week, I don't know how, how you've been this week, um, when I felt like uninspired or tired or, or whatever, it's been, it's been Jesus's name that I've, that I've whispered and it's his spirit that I've asked to fill me and to strengthen me when things have been rubbish. So I don't know what kind of week you've had, uh, whether it's been a week of increasing hope a week of looking forward to, um, I don't know, getting a haircut. Um, April the 12th is going to be, it's going to be haircut resurrection day. Uh, it's going to be a, a salvation day. It's going to be like hell for, hell for barbers, but for, um, heaven for those of us who are going to walk out like me with like a stone lighter because of the like, lack of hair on my head. Um, but I don't know if you've had a good week, whether it's just been a bit neh, a bit, you know, struggling to get back into work or, or problems in your relationship. You've been um, banging heads with the people around you or whatever. Maybe some of you have got, particularly after this year of lockdown, you've got big kind of questions around what the next few years look like for you. Well, today is a day that can speak into all of that stuff because it's a day when we think, afresh about which thing we're choosing to follow in our lives, like which path or route we're going to take in our life, in, in the different situations we face. So um, in this passage, we're going to look at from Mark 11. So grab your Bibles if you haven't done already. There are these different versions of what it means to be a king. Uh, what does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to be powerful or to do well in this world so to help us look at that we're going to step back one notch so if you've got your bible turn to mark 10 towards the end of the chapter so um blind bartimaeus receives his sight so this this probably is set the day before jesus's entry into jerusalem or or maybe that morning that same day but jesus gives this blind man back his sight and Isaiah had spoken about this. Isaiah prophesied that one day someone would come. Isaiah said, one day your king will come and the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. And no prophets had ever done this before. Not Moses or Elisha or Elijah. None of the big hitters like John, George, Ringo. Uh, none, none of them did. None of the, none of the big ones did. Uh, but now something unique is going on. And those of them who knew their scriptures would really have recognized it. This, this blind man, Bartimaeus, he cries out something to Jesus. And it's, and it's really key for us as, as we understand the events which follow in Mark 11. So he said, they're all telling him to shut up and stuff. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that term, son of David, means messiah it's like shorthand for saying um you the, the one we've been waiting for uh, the one who's going to come from god who like david who's a, a chip off the old block from david a son of david 
because they, they they wanted this warrior king, this one who was going to come and kick everyone's asses, boot the Romans out and reinstate Israel and, and reinstate Israel as like a sovereign nation again. So Bartimaeus addresses him as son of David. And the crowd wouldn't have missed that as, as people move around uh, and as Jesus moves around the land, eyes are beginning to open, like literally and metaphorically, eyes are beginning to open and people are beginning to see who this man is, this God man, and, and, and people are getting excited. So he carries on towards Jerusalem and he comes over the crest of the hill, over the Mount of Olives. And it says he's in this village of Bethphage and he sees Jerusalem for the first time. And he knows it is the city in which he will die. And so I want to I want to just push the uh, the boundaries of our Zoom preaching for one minute. And I want to try and share a screen with you. Um, so let's see this. Can you all see that? Hopefully you can. This is a photo of Jerusalem. And hopefully you can see my mouse. There's my mouse. So I mean, this is going to be your guide. Um, but this is coming from the west side of Jerusalem. And this is the city of Jerusalem. And this is called um, this is called uh, Temple Mount. This area here is where the old temple would once have stood. And this is a mosque that they've built over the top of where the old temple used to be. And here beyond, we see the Mount of Olives. And I don't know how well you can see in terms of the perspective, but it's this really steep hill, this really steep slope. And, and you know, like um, Jesus comes over the crest of the hill of the Mount of Olives and he looks and he sees Jerusalem in front of him. And maybe like it's concrete now, but maybe this road here might have been an old dirt trap that one day Jesus descended down the Mount of Olives. Or there's another one up here. And, and you know, like, like our modern roads, maybe they were built over the route that he originally went down. Down here, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where he, he knelt. And there's a there's a church that's been built over the stone that's reputed to be where Jesus sweated blood onto this thing. So this is this is kind of the landscape. And then this is coming from the top of the Mount of Olives. So this perhaps is something like what Jesus might have seen. And so you can imagine this descending this slope. And then these are all terraces. It's all a really steep little slope going up to Jerusalem. And um, I want you to think of it being like Glastonbury. It's, you've seen pictures of the Glastonbury Festival, just like a sea of people, thousands and thousands of people. And hence, so if you didn't have um, somewhere to stay in the city, because it's the first day of Passover Festival, if you didn't have anywhere to stay, you'd pitch a tent. And this, this ascent up to the temple was, um, was like a key place. And it's into this place that Jesus walked. So I'm going to um, try and stop that and I'm going to try and now introduce the reading. So we've got a video of the reading. So Mark 11, uh, play the video, please. I'm Richard and this is the reading from Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem, and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, 
and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and thank you, Richard. Um, so many of you will be thinking, not unreasonably, um, why the donkey? Uh, if you need wheels, you know, if you need transport and you're going to make an entrance, what would you opt for? But Jesus knows what he's doing. Have a listen to Zechariah 9. So this is uh, Zechariah's prophesying what, 500 years or so before Jesus. And he says this, uh, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So it's possible that Jesus had um, kind of rearranged this maybe with the owner, he'd sent a message. But anyway, his friends go for him and try and find this donkey. And people do question them and they say, like, you know, why are you trying to steal my car? What, what are you doing? And the friends say, oh, well, the, the Lord needs it. And so they go, oh, fine. Here, take the keys. And, and so they bring this young donkey, this slightly wobbly colt, baby donkey to Jesus. And he rides into Jerusalem and he's fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. And it's like a signpost. It's like a declaration. This is it. This is God's salvation plan for his people. And Jesus, as always, he's, it's like he's saying, this won't be quite what you're expecting, but it's what you need. Like, I won't be. Maybe he says that to us today. Like, I won't always be what you're expecting, but I'm what you need. Have a look at, at verse seven. Have a look at verse seven. They throw their robes over the donkey. It said, um, when they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the ground while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. So this is how you would uh, greet royalty. When a king arrived in the city, he would be heralded and welcomed by cheering crowds. And the road would normally have been covered in, in like dust and grime and animal muck. So to welcome a king, they would have rolled out the red carpet. They would have done anything they could. It would be our equivalent of confetti cannons and balloons and streamers and imagine like a big political rally or something or, or a World Cup winning side parading a trophy through the street. It's like a massive carnival atmosphere. Imagine the Glastonbury Festival packed with people, but there's tension in the air. So I want you to imagine, um, imagine, imagine a World Cup final, a massive international football match. England are in the World Cup final with uh, Germany. 
and there's loads of English fans and German fans in some um, foreign capital. And so there are police on the streets and they're all on the lookout for flare-ups or riots. And everyone's hoping that they'll be able to get through this day without big trouble. And maybe it's a, a bit like these football fans, these Jewish crowds around Jesus are rowdy and they're pumped and they've all assembled for this like ultimate Jewish festival, remembering the time. In Passover is when they remember the time when God rescued them from a, from a different powerful king, King Pharaoh in this case, who like the Romans had kept the Israelites crushed underfoot. And so like football fans, these Jews are singing these songs that are really precious to them, to their national identity and, and what it means to be a proud nation for them. So for us, if it's three lions, then these Jews are singing Psalm 118. So what they sing in this passage is straight from 118. And they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. They're like singing these songs. We don't know the, the, the tune, thankfully, so you're not going to have me singing it at you. But it's a song that's loaded with, with meaning. And you can imagine them singing it at the Roman guards, like pointing it at the Roman guards. And that word, Hosanna, for us, it's become like this kind of generic praise word. But it really means save us, Lord. Save now. There's like an urgency to it. It was like a political word, like a political slogan. So change the example. Imagine you're in Hong Kong at the moment and there's this liberate Hong Kong march. And it's under the Chinese government authority and the Hong Kong police are there and they're watching with tear gas and uh, guns at the ready. This Jewish crowd really are saying, Hosanna, save us now, God, from these people. It's a cry of emancipation. And so all, all the politics are in the air. And that's what I really want you to capture. It's round, it's busy, it's chaotic, and there's tension, politics in the air. It's a dangerous time. And the authorities are on high alert. And it's in this moment, into this scene, that, um, that Jesus comes and makes his statement about what makes a king a king. Jesus processes in on this baby donkey. It's an animal of humility and grace and peace and gentleness. It's, it's like this, this act in this moment is like a piece of um, political street theatre, like religious street theatre. It's a deliberately prophetic and political act. Um, because Jesus wasn't the only king entering Jerusalem that day. On the first day of the Passover festival, on the other side of the city, Pontius Pilate was also entering Jerusalem. He was entering on the west side of Jerusalem into the rich area where all the power resided. And, and this time he would have processed in with this big display of military force to remind the Jews just who was in charge of that city. And so he would have processed in on like a stallion or a war horse. And there would have been, imagine the kind of glint of sun on the shields and the swords and big flags with Roman eagles on them, soldiers and weapons. It's like a big display of um, brute strength and dominance. 
Now we have Jesus creating this deliberate contrast. As, as always, Jesus just turns it all on its head. He rides in, in the poor end of town this time, he rides in not on a stallion or a war horse, but he rides in on a baby donkey. It has none of the physical or worldly kind of power attached to it. It's like, a, like an adult riding a kid's bike in the Tour de France or something. It's a deliberately absurd moment, almost. He's subverting this world's version of power and, and prestige. So what we remember on Palm Sunday, what we remember today is that victory with Jesus doesn't look like the world's version of victory. And so like those crowds on that first day, we are presented with a choice. Which version of kingship are we going to align ourselves with? Are we going to align ourselves with Jesus's version of kingship or this world that we live in? Because I think there are many things that can become king to us today that actually can crush us and that we don't find salvation in, in the way that we thought that we would. And they can be quite subtle and they can be quite seductive in the way that they creep into our lives. I think our society would have us worship all sorts of potential kings. Um, maybe convenience, probably for us in the Western church, um, convenience in being comfortable is probably one of the kings that most threatens Jesus's kingship in our lives. Sometimes our, our families or our spouses or our kids or whatever can trump everything else in our lives. Uh, I don't know whether for you at the moment, perhaps the end of lockdown can be like a kind of king to us. We, we pin our hopes on it and we think, oh, once that happens, everything will be good again. Like my haircut, like it's going to be a good day, but it, it isn't going to last long and it isn't going to bring me any kind of lasting salvation. It's just going to make me look a bit less silly. Um, and sometimes our jobs, sometimes um, like success at work can become a kind of king or ruler over our hearts and our lives or um, the way that we're perceived by others. Or I can get a bit obsessed with like whatever you're obsessed with, you know, like um, I get a bit obsessed with running. I don't know, it can be anything, but the thing that fascinates us and dominate us. Whatever it is, whatever fascinates you in your life, they can dominate you. Those things become like kings to us that ultimately disappoint us. And we spend our lives pursuing them, but all we do is get led further away from God. So if you're listening to this today and you feel like you're far from God in some way, if you, as you reflect on Lent, as I invited you to at the start of the service, like, like, how am I doing with God? How close do I feel to Jesus at the moment? Do a little, do a little MOT on yourself. Is there something that has become like a, like a counterfeit king to you? Something that fascinates you, something that can dominate you and your imagination and your thought life because Jesus is the only king that you were born like hardwired to be fascinated with and to worship and he is a king that will walk out your life with you and benevolently rule over you without crushing you and without leading you astray so I want to say to you today don't settle for some kind of mannequin like scarecrow king 
fake. I don't know how many of you have read the, the Narnia books. There's this kind of fake Aslan called Tashlan. And it's and it's a it's a kind of Aslan that they make. They can make that God into whatever they want that God to be. But we, we can't manage Jesus. We can't mold him and shape him to be convenient for us or or our society that we live in. He isn't what we expect, but he is what we need. And, and in him, there is there is life that is truly love. So like in a cheerful way, I, I want to say to you guys, beware the kings that this world would offer us and invite us to be loyal to. Like, I wonder what that looks like for you. I reckon it will look different for all of us. I wonder what for you that 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 fake king could look like or something that seems much more successful and respectable in the world's eyes than following this, this donkey riding, self-sacrificing Jesus. If Jesus's vision of success, his vision of kingship is the cross. He says, he says, come follow me, come and die with me. Lay yourselves down for those that you love. Live simply, humbly, contentedly. Don't push. Don't have sharp elbows and try and get what you want. And, and within that is this promise from Jesus that if we exalt ourselves, if we, as it were, like ride a war horse in this life, if we seek to like dominate and crush or seek to get our way, then we will be humbled. But he promises that if we take on his pattern, if we ride a foal, if we ride a colt, a young donkey through this life, we will be exalted. And in, in the days that follow this moment, this Palm Sunday moment, in the days that follow, we see Jesus doing this again and again. He's showing us that this is what his kingdom is all about. A few nights later on the Thursday night, we see him washing his disciples feet. And he says, the least among you will be the greatest. The servant of all will be, will be the leader. Uh, so I wonder whose I wonder whose feet you could wash this week, either literally or metaphorically. And then ultimately on Friday and on Good Friday as a church, we're going to remember him being nailed to a cross on our behalf, subjected to a brutal, torturous death um, at the hands of these these dominant crushing Romans and you know he, he fully dies it, it's not pretend he fully goes to the realm of the dead and he takes our sin and our darkness and our debt to God with him and he puts that to death and then the creative father the one who had the power to start it all in the first place with a word he then shows on the Sunday that he has the power to restart it and so through the spirit, he raises this humble servant king from the grave. And that's when he's exalted, when he has died in order to see the ones he loves live. So, so we don't chase after the exaltation. That bit's his responsibility. We concentrate on going low. So. I need to finish. But today, this Palm Sunday, we, we're offered, this is really what I want you to grasp. We're offered this, these two versions, these two conflicting versions of what power and success look like. 
Pilate arrives on the west side of the city and he's shining with worldly strength and, and weapons and wealth. And Jesus rides in. He, he rises like the sun over the Mount of Olives on the east side of the city, riding a donkey in complete harmony with his father and his kingdom and full of humility and obedience and gentleness and self-sacrifice. So I wonder this week in our workplaces, in our homes, online, like in the way that we disagree with each other, in the way that we manage our desires, we manage our words. I wonder which king we're going to follow this week. Uh, let's let's pray. Let's pray uh, before we finish and then we'll go to groups. Um, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you have come and that um, you have entered in, entered Jerusalem on that day, but you enter our lives in that same way. You come with your self-sacrifice and your love and your grace. And so we welcome you, Lord Jesus. And I do pray, Lord, that um, you would help us to follow you this week, help us to be yours, help us to live a, like a cross-shaped life. And I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are not what we expect, that you are what we need and that you are you are good. So would you come, Holy Spirit, and would you fill us? And would you strengthen us in order that we might be able to live uh, in this pattern and in this way? Uh, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. OK, um, I'm going to send you into your breakout rooms now. So um, there's a couple of questions. Uh, as usual, the first question is what stuck out to you from the passage or from what's been said? And then the second question may be a little bit more tough if you really want to go there with your group. But what are the things or kings that you find personally you need to watch out for in your life? What are the things, the, the kings that you need to watch out for in your life? OK, so I'm going to put them in the chat. And, um, and uh, yeah, if we send people into breakout rooms, please.